Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Everyone is talking about digital health. The investors are lining up to write checks. Every healthcare facility is engaged in digital health, and many have launched their own digital initiatives, including many with digital health innovation hubs. And all the supporting services and businesses are offering some version of digital health. But for all the excitement and interest in this initiative, is it really helping to solve our healthcare problems? While there have been pockets of progress, some of the programs have generated increased workloads for the already stretched staff. If you engage in faster, better, and more efficiency with your patients using technology and automation, the data shows patients are interacting and jumping on board the digital engagement bandwagon. But many of these interactions will move to personalized interactions with clinical staff in a system that pays for carrying out clinical activity and treatment, but that does not include online or telecommunications and engagement. There were changes made to the reimbursement models in response to the pandemic and its impact on in-person care, but some of these regulations are at risk now of being revoked or reversed. But just digitizing activity cannot solve completely the lack of available resources. There are still only 24 hours in a day. As of today, we have not created a Harry Potter time turner to allow staff to be in more than one place at any one time. So designing these digital solutions must involve the very people who are at the front line of care from the beginning, not as an afterthought or to show them the great solution that was designed in a laboratory, but rather created with their involvement and participation from the outset. Join me on Healthcare Upside Down as I talk with Dr. Ravi Patel. He's the Vice President of Digital Health at the Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, and he's been working at the nexus of clinical care and digital care. Hi, Ravi. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. So digital health, it seems like everybody's doing it. Uh, I, I, I can barely open a page. Well, actually, I don't open pages. I, you know turn pages on digital screens without seeing somebody doing, investing, actions, you name it. Is it really that simple? Are we actually delivering value with digital health? I think that's a great question. I think it becomes a very complex um, situation where we have to be able to balance the yield and the, and the opportunity gained um, from digital health against some of the innovation and be able to prioritize some of that innovation where there actually is a lot of opportunity. 
right now we've had, uh, I think this is where digital health kind of gets somewhat of a bad name. You've got the side that is all around utility. Um, it's about how do you actually get patients using digital tools to be able to facilitate care. And then you've got the extreme innovation side where you've got everything that wants to be driven by AI um, and uh, advanced algorithms and uh, advanced analytics, et cetera. And a balance of the two is really necessary to be able to make digital health work because on the far end of the high risk, high reward type situations with our AI driven, it's hard for people to recognize and realize what that opportunity is. We've dumped a lot of cash and there's obviously a lot of um, capital going into those uh, new areas, but it potentially also creates um, more friction amongst the stakeholders that are trying to deliver care, who are physicians, our nurses, our care teams that are out there that are trying to engage with patients. And it becomes really hard for them to really take the care part out of um, what has inherently always been a personal experience when it comes to care delivery. On the front end, uh, it can't always be about just utility. Uh, it can't always be about how do you get patients on a portal? How do you schedule an appointment? How do you get them communicating? It's got to be about what are you going to do beyond that? That's that's some of the low-hanging fruit. Yes, you should actually go grab that, but then how do you translate that into long-term longitudinal engagement so that you can keep a patient engaged over a longer period of time, potentially use some of those AI bots to identify and prioritize patient engagement, um, but then also use that as a way to create that relationship that helps evolve um, what the care delivery mechanism will look like over the course of months, years uh, in that patient journey. You know, you, you make an interesting point that I've not heard elsewhere, which is digital health, which for, for the longest time I would have surmised was trying to reduce friction, but you said is increasing friction for the clinical team. We seem to be failing if that's the case. I mean, why is that even a, a, a point here? Yeah, I mean, it, I think one of the hard parts is it, in digital health, it, an engagement with, with our care teams and our providers is heavily dependent on, uh, on direct work by those care teams. Right now, uh, you may have more and more patients engaged in getting onto a platform. So I'll take Lurie Children's, for example. We, in the last two years, have gone from a 27% engagement rate on our patient portal to 69%. What that's also driven is almost a quadrupling in patient messages that have come through. Those patient messages have to be handled by our care teams, whether they be by nursing pools or trying to filter out which messages they can deal with before they go on to their care providers, but then the care providers have to deal with those messages. All of that is uncompensated care at the end of the day. Um, those, pay, those providers are handling these messages and oftentimes uh, having to handle some of these messages that are brand new complaints, things that would have otherwise been a visit in person or a telemedicine visit. And how do you balance the two? We want to make sure we're providing optimum care and uh, the best care that is available to the patients, but we also have to do it in something that is a sustainable uh, mechanism for these care providers so that it's not, not leading to further burnout. It's actually making it more automated. It's making it more um, functional. And so some of the, this is where uh, the AI algorithms become a, a very critical piece of development. If, if you can create algorithms that can really help, if not automatically reply to messages, but at least propose what the next phase of messages would look like, it could be extremely helpful 
as we think through the opportunities for uh, engagement. I think the other piece of friction comes from uh, a stagnancy in our healthcare delivery teams. Our healthcare delivery teams are very um, kind of set in their ways. They've always delivered care in a, in a certain way. And it's, it's uh, difficult to adopt new methods of care. And we haven't necessarily done the best in bringing our care teams along. What has happened is you've invested a lot on that far end of the spectrum of the AI development, and um, the advanced analytics, and we haven't brought our care teams with us. They haven't been as engaged as we want them to be. They've often been an afterthought of engaging them as, as a company has come about. And in that afterthought, we haven't necessarily taken the people who are going to be using this and deploying this um, and make and taking their, their experiences into account. So it, it, I think it'll, it, it, it can create a reduced friction. I think there is a lot of opportunity there, but if it has to be done in the right way. You have to bring your stakeholders along with you got to get them engaged, but then you also have to propose situations that are sustainable at the end of the day. They have to be a trade-off. You're delivering care via digital means. That doesn't mean you're going to do everything you were doing before and now also doing this. You were doing what you were doing before and potentially making a portion of that more efficient using these digital tools. You know, as part of that, I think one of the, the failings that I picked out from what you described was the involvement of those clinicians as part of the design process at the outset, so as opposed to adding them in early, it, it sounded like there was a, a fundamental flaw in the compensation mechanism, as you described it, uncompensated care. But the value add I heard specifically, and I think this is critical in terms of the contribution from an economic standpoint is, undiagnosed opportunities that are detected earlier as a result of that engagement. And I think there's almost no argument that if you get involved early in the prevention and treatment of anything, earlier is always better from a clinical outcome and also better economically. So we need to fix some of those things from the outset. Absolutely. I, mean, I think that early engagement is a critical piece of being able to, to not only address some of the risk factors that patients are dealing with and some of their, their direct symptoms that may, they may be experiencing, but you're now preventing some of the more complex complications that have come down, downstream. Um, and you're not waiting for uh, the, the serious event and potentially uh, either not necessarily always fatal, but at least... Um, uh, morbid events from occurring, right? Now you've got you've got all of these compl complications that occur, and, and I'll take an example. My wife's a rheumatologist. Um, she has patients who come in with uh, <clears throat> juvenile idiopathic arthritis, and you have the patient who has a little bit of knee swelling, a little bit of knee pain, but now waits six months before they're seen by a rheumatologist. Now is now not able to walk. Um, as a result, they've missed two months of school. They have uh, not been able to engage with their patient or with their their friends. Um, it's led to a number of behavioral health uh, issues as well for that patient. So that that is what we're talking about here. Is if you have a digital means to be able to engage with these patients earlier on, but also in a longitudinal manner, because it can't be a one-off situation. A one-off situation isn't always going to lead us to be building that relationship and then 
in parallel, making sure that the chronic care um, algorithms are there. A lot of our digital health right now on the utility side, so I've spent a lot of time talking about the AI side, but on the utility side has been focused on acute care, one-off situations, um, telemedicine and urgent care situations. That's great. And that, that is uh, an absolute need that we have from a utility standpoint. But what's even better is that patient who is engaged with the primary care provider um, and can have that hypertension dealt with for a chronic case, not in, I have a really bad headache and now my blood pressure is 160 over 90 and I need some medicine right now. Right. And, and that's the, that's the facilitation of primary care and delivery of primary care that is critical to be able to engage um, patients over the long, longer period of time. Yeah, just to be clear, the point that you've got a headache from your hypertension, we are way too late, yeah. clearly. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> and catching it, you know, as a, a almost symptomless uh, disease, you know, so important and such a huge opportunity. So accepting the fact that digital health has this benefits, you know, with the low hanging fruit, as you described, plus also, you know, the extended opportunity but there's some realities here that really trouble me. And that's the sort of fundamentals of our system and, you know, the inadequacies of things that are not considered health. And I'll, I'll pick food, which, you know, ultimately food is a drug. I know that's a little bit controversial for some people, but, you know, in my context, I think I consider it that way. If, if we fix all the digital health, but we're not fixing the food, where does that leave us? Are we solving problems? Can we can we start to solve problems? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'll tell you a little bit about my previous experience and then lead that into how this ties directly back into digital health. So while I was in medical school, I created a Nashville mobile market um, down, down Nashville, Tennessee. That was the whole idea was to address food deserts, be able to create access to healthy foods in neighborhoods that previously didn't have access to those healthy foods. They either had to take a bus or two buses over the course of 90 to 180 minutes on average, um, the middle 50%, uh, uh, no joke, taking an hour and a half on the short end um, to go to a grocery store so you could get healthy foods for your family. And this is, these are often people who are working two or three jobs. Um, and so don't have that time to be able to take a three hour round trip trip to go to the grocery store and get groceries. So the whole idea of National Mobile Market was to create access to those healthy foods in those neighborhoods. Perfect part about it is it could also kind of go away. As we created national mobile market, we created the demand. The demand was there. Capitalism took its it took its uh, action, and grocery stores started popping up in these neighborhoods. They became more accessible. Bus routes started to change slightly. Patients could get or get on those buses and get to grocery stores and get access to the healthier foods that they need. Now, the the more complicated part of that that goes back to. 2014 to 2015. Now in 2022, the more complicated problem becomes exactly, I think what you started to hint is that food is a drug. How do you engage with patients to start changing some of that behavior? So the first part of what I talked about was access and that being one big portion of it, behavior was still a problem there, but if you couldn't fix access you were never gonna fix the behavior, it wouldn't matter. Access now being less of a problem, not, not completely gone. Food deserts are definitely still a reality and still definitely something we need to tackle. But from a behavior standpoint, how do you use digital tools to better engage patients? So I'll take Weary Children's as an example. We have a thousand patients on a wait list waiting to be seen by our wait and wellness clinic. These are patients who are engaged, who want to be seen to get help with their child's obesity. 
Um, and whether they either be overweight, they're obese, morbidly obese, potentially considering um, surgical intervention or bariatric surgery as a, as a solution, all of those are on the table. Now, how do you take care of that number of patients when we don't have the resources, we don't have the expertise, we don't have the right resources that pair up with the multidisciplinary care that it takes to be able to deliver effective care um, to this patient population? One great option is remote patient monitoring, is, is using a longitudinal option of remote patient monitoring and uh, uh, digital health as a way to engage with these patients upfront. So back to what we just talked about, how do you engage with them early on? So as soon as the referral is made, can we potentially put them on a path pathway? And we're, we're doing this right now. We're developing a pathway for weight and wellness where the patient can be put onto the pathway right when the referral comes in to come into our weight and wellness clinic. At that point in time, we will go through a set of questions and engagement to be able to figure out which pathway they should be aligned to, whether or not they need access. So if you've got an access problem, you're now connected to a social worker. If you have a um, underlying behavioral disorder, you're connected to right either social work or psychologist or psychiatrist so that all of those items can be uh, addressed. If you need from a medical standpoint, you have other medical comorbidities, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. It's, it's scary to think about in, in 11 year olds with severe hypertension and hyperlipidemia because of the obesity. How do you get them connected to the medical intervention that they potentially need? Now, when they've done all of that together and they potentially still now sit in a situation where despite the right intervention, they still need surgical intervention because that is, that is at this point our best treatment for obesity. Great, we can now tee them up with the right surgical intervention. So they've engaged with all the right multidisciplinary care, but they've done it in an asynchronous longitudinal manner that doesn't require as much coordination you don't need four care teams in the same place, seeing the same patient over a long period of time. As a result, reducing the number of patients you can see. You can see these patients over a longer period of time, engage with them, and then you can make sure that they're doing all of the steps that they need to do to be able to get to where they need to go. Um, this now sets up a situation where you've got patients who can not only be longitudinally engaged in being able to address their uh their current problems, but you've now set them up for the long-term and be able to engage with them because we all know obesity is a chronic disease. Even if you get bariatric surgery, the recurrence rate of obesity is extremely high. And so at that point in time, you need to have some mechanism where you can't let them fall off the wagon. And you've got to have that patient engaged and making sure that they're getting all the appropriate care from a multidisciplinary team in the long-term long as well. What we have to do going back to some of our earlier conversation is also figure out how to do this in a appropriately compensated manner. Um, this early intervention is critical. We've got care teams who are now just adding this on to other work that they were previously doing. It's gotta be uh, structured in a way where we've um, got the right policies and engagement. And I think in the state of Illinois, we've gotten really lucky in July of 2021, um, they passed a new telehealth bill that's allowing us, that's giving us more flexibility to experiment with these processes. But it's a real balance of that utility component of digital health, as well as that advanced analytics AI component and finding a nice balance of it so that you can engage with that patient over a long period of time with less human resources, but also appropriately placed human resources throughout the course of that experience. 
So I, I, I'm some real hope there embedded within the what I would call the digital enablement of actual delivery of, you know, holistic care that includes all of the components, uh, I guess, connecting the dots. Um, you've seen some changes in your local state that have obviously enabled that from a regulatory standpoint. As you think about the future, and I, I, I know this is hard, but if you had a, a, a capacity to sort of change things, where would you start? I mean, what, what, we've still got plenty of opportunity. This is one small slice of it. What, what do we need to do? What do we need to focus on? I think uh, there's a couple of areas that I really heavily focus on. So one is on the patient side and patient engagement. We've got to do a better job in being able to show that the call to action in engaging with the digital health resources have an immediate uh, response. Um, our attention span as a, as a population is shortening, um, especially when you think about our pediatric population. Uh, we have to figure out how to appropriately gamify um, or make it more parallel to our social media experiences um, so that it's frequent touches and short spurts um, that allow the right engagement, but in a way that is encouraging um, to our, our patient population, not one that, is, that has previously always been, oh, well, you haven't done this. This is why patients don't go to the doctor or don't go to the dentist because they're, they're tired of showing up and being told what that they haven't done. Um, so how do we, how do we spin, spin the um, framing of it to be more in the positive way? I think the second area is really in our patient, in our, our care team engagement. So as I mentioned earlier, I think one thing that we really need to do is bring our care teams along, help them develop these where they, they are the source of the, the design. They are the primary uh, designers and creators of this product where they have the right resources uh, available to them from a digital team perspective to be able to create the um, engagement platform that is most uh, effective in their workflows. Um, oftentimes we're kind of taking, creating a whole other workflow, creating something and then plopping it onto their workflow. And when we do that, the engagement goes away. And then that's where we lose some of the ability to actually grow the opportunity um, beyond the one provider or the one practice and something that actually is replicable to other practices. And so the closer it relates directly back to a standard practice that is relatively conforming amongst workflows across all of our providers, the better it is and the better that engagement is. When they exist as separate in, uh, independent entities, it becomes a lot more complicated to then engage and incorporate them into our existing workflows. Fantastic. So I, I think, you know, as I try and wrap this up, I, I see, you know, a central tenant here is that the clinician is the primary digital healthcare designer. And without that, we will fail in terms of our implementation because we're not getting the perspective that is uh, embedded in the realities of delivering care. Ravi, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, great having a conversation. Having created the innovative Nashville mobile market, and being involved in the incredible Weight of the Nation program featured on HBO, taking those learning points, Ravi is now implementing a longitudinal remote patient monitoring and engagement solution to put people on the right pathway as soon as they engage with their clinical team and services. 
Starting people on the right track quickly helps set them up for success and allocates the finite resources in the health system to be best utilized for success. Thanks to positive progress in the state of Illinois, they have found a path to a flexible approach to engagement that balances the use of digital health resources using less human resource but appropriately utilized for maximum impact and effect. Your better pill to swallow in this post-pandemic burnt out clinical world you must engage early with your clinical team and enable them to participate in the design, build, and implementation of digital health programs. This starts by prioritizing these programs by funding the clinical team's participation. This cannot be uncompensated activities that are in addition to the regular work, but must be part of the clinical responsibilities and incentivized accordingly. Digital health is a strategic initiative that can help deliver better, more economic care, but to get there requires innovative approaches to investment, freeing up the right resources to support and guide and incentivize the whole team with contemporary compensation strategies. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, Keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.